Poker Stories is an audio series that features casual interviews with some of the game's best players and personalities. Each episode highlights a well-known figure in the poker world and dives deep into their favorite tales, both on and off the felt. That's right, it's time for another episode of Poker Stories, brought to you by Card Player, the poker authority. Once again, I'm your host, Julio Rodriguez. I want to give a special thanks to everyone who listened to our first two episodes with Jesse Sylvia and Jason Kuhn. This week, Matt Stout joined us on the show. Matt is a New Jersey native with a big personality, and that has made him a standout player both live and online for the past decade. He's got three and a half million in live winnings, another 3.7 million won online. He's a poker coach, a brand ambassador for both the Seminole Hard Rock and Borgata, uh, and he started the charity series of poker, which has raised more than $150,000 for worthy charities and causes. So as you can see, Matt is a good player and an even better dude, and it easily comes through in our conversation. Let's get right into it. Anyway, how you been, man? Are we on air? Because I'll give you two different answers if it's just me and you. Talking. No, no, we're we're officially on the air now. <laughs> All right, I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> the truth, the truth comes out later in the podcast, I guess. I mean, I've known you for several years, so yes. if the mics are off, there's a lot more that I'll say. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, we'll keep it to, uh, to the public's perception of you uh, only. I mean, I'm still doing good, but yeah. you know. Life isn't always peachy. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so we're here in Las Vegas in your home. You've Chilling. been you've been in Las Vegas for how long now? Almost eight, a decade, right? Yeah, eight years. I uh, I moved here in '08. Um, grew up in Jersey, and when I was 23, I had kind of gotten a little bored with the AC scene. Um, Borgata hadn't built all of its tournaments up to what they are now, so like there wasn't that much action, especially for tournaments in AC. And like once I started building a bankroll, playing bigger, I was traveling a lot, and it just sort of made more sense for me to set up somewhere else. Yeah, Vegas uh, Vegas was the spot. Did you regret that in the years that followed? <laughs> it only took me four months to regret the decision. No, I love Vegas. <laughs> no, actually, so, so in 08, uh, I moved out here, just like bought an apartment, was kind of deciding whether or not I wanted to stay here in the long term, and decided it was for me, at least for like this period of my life, while I'm like building my career as a poker player so i did decide to buy a house in 2010 and at first paul, decent time yeah paul waska and i were gonna split the house because he basically he bought a nine hundred sixty-five thousand dollar house right after i remember banked, we have a rent. video of it on card player right uh so he bought that ridiculous house and then the price plummeted and he wasn't even there he, he, he lives right. in he, yeah, he didn't time it right, and he also uh, decided that Vegas wasn't really for him, and he wanted to keep the house, but he um, was in Colorado, like, literally 10 or 11 months a year at least. Like, yeah. he would come out for the World Series, come out for a couple big tournaments, but then it was really stupid because he had this huge empty house that no one was living in, and even when he would fly out <laughs> to Vegas, he would crash on my couch in my little two-bedroom <laughs> apartment, <laughs> and it was absurd. Yeah. So eventually, we decided that I was going to like pay him a big down payment, pay him monthly, and we would just split the house 50-50. I got to take the master bedroom, and it was just like my house, and it was just like my buddy visiting a month or two a year. It was so ideal for me. Yeah. Uh, but then six months later, his fiance decided that she didn't want to keep the house, convinced him to sell it, so I bought my own house. 
house, the one we're sitting in now. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that happened. Which this house, I would estimate, is worth five, six million dollars. Six, sixty-five million dollars. Sixty-five yeah. million dollars. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> Julio's clearly being sarcastic because I'm like too nitty and just like bought like an okay house so that I'd be prepared for downswings instead of being all poker playerish about it and like balling out. I disagree. I'm looking at a big screen TV projector. Okay, that's I do. Be like six hundred inches. I, <laughs> it's big. What is? That? I just meant the house itself isn't that balling. I, I just like I'm I bought one on of the, like the normal cookie right cutter. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. The walls no, are, are a very stereotypical shade of uh, yeah. of, of khaki. Yeah, anyone who's <laughs> been to Vegas and been like off the strip kind of knows there's like a ton of these cookie cutter houses. They all look mm-hmm. the same. I just bought one of them. I'm hiding out in the desert, eight miles from the strip, far enough away from the crazies, mm-hmm. and I just like. Bought a, like, reasonably priced house and just decked it out. I have, like, huge L-shaped leather couch with double recliners and a chase and, like, have a 150-inch projector screen. Like, I made it comfy, like, but it's all about experience <laughs> to me. Like, I don't care about showing off. It's like, so, wait, how does, a, how does an East Coaster like you fare on the West Coast? Because I, I was born and raised in South Florida, and I know there was a huge shock coming to no, the I desert. No, I needed this. You needed it? Um, I grew up like way too stressed out, like an angry environment. I grew up two miles from Manhattan. So like I'm from Jersey, but I'm from like the like dirty, dirty Jersey. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, like the town I grew up in, it, it borders Newark, Staten Island, Manhattan, and Jersey City. Some um, of the most calmest places on earth. Oh yeah. So <laughs> it's just, it's really just like a, a very hustle and bustle type A angry like i don't know like there's just there's just too much testosterone too much anger too much like too much unhappiness in general Um, were you too mellow for that environment or did coming here mellow you out oh no i grew up in like a like a toxic angry household that like made it, it made me that way but then like i quickly realized like hey this isn't how i'm supposed to live life I'm supposed to be a little more chill, relaxed, like, so that's why moving out west was, like, it was good for me. Mm -hmm. I needed to, like, lay back a little bit more, chill, and, like, not be so stressed all the time, and I'm still working on that now. Like, I'm still an overachiever. I still, like, I'm always doing, like, six things at once, just never giving myself a break and, like, never really patting myself back on my back too much for the accomplishments, just, like, setting a new goal, setting a new goal, and it's really bad. You really have to, like relax and like be happy with what you've done at some point at some like, point, i usually yeah. don't stop to do that at, at some all. point take a look around <laughs> assess your surroundings yeah. so moving out west was kind of like part of like a personal thing that i was trying to do and like who i was and just becoming like the more chill goofy happy-go-lucky person that like a lot of people in the live poker scene seem to know me as that seems to be your reputation I, I mean, I'm like, I'm a goofball who's like maybe. always laughing. Like, <laughs> no, I know plenty of people talk shit about me and I love it. No, no, no. <laughs> well, easily one of the most liked people. That's why I approached you to do that one of the early episodes of this podcast. Appreciate it, buddy. Because you never I know. I know I'm disliked too. Listen. I love I love polarizing people. No, I mean, no, no. I Listen, like making the, people feel one, one way or another about me. The poker world is full of a lot of decent people, but there's always a, at least a few people that have some negative story. But you... Truly, are one of the people. I don't think anybody has anything terrible to say about. So, yeah, maybe some I mean, ex-girlfriends or something. But no, I'm friends with all my ex-girlfriends. Yeah. that's the funny thing. Um, actually, 
my fiance and I were talking about like uh, how she actually thinks it's a good thing that I'm still friends with my ex-girlfriend. She doesn't get jealous about it. She's like, you know, if they spent like two years, three years, four years with you and they still want to see your face and be friends with you, that's that's got to be a good thing. That's got to say, yeah, say, say a lot about you as a person. you're a good guy. <laughs> so Bayonne, New Jersey? Oh, God, yes. Bayonne, New it's, Jersey? It's quite a place. And what was your what was your deal like growing up there? What were you into? Um, what was a young Matt Stout doing? Young Matt Stout, like high school. We'll go. We'll go straight to high school because a little more messed up before high school. I was like, <laughs> like I was like a super fat kid when I, before high school. Like had no idea what I was. Had tons of angst. Just like grew up in a crazy environment. Yeah. But like. When I turned 13, started high school, I was, uh, in my freshman year, I was captain of the academic team, captain of the chess team, but I was also on the hockey team so that I wasn't too much of a nerd. And our hockey team was like the stars of the school because our football team was terrible and we had our own ice rink and like we actually had a shot at doing well. So (laughs) it was weird. I was like a jock, nerd, skater, misfit kid. I, I don't... I don't even know how to describe it. I was kind of like dabbling in all circles, just like... Social butterfly. Not really, though. I don't know. I guess you could say that, but in a weird way. <laughs> you had a connection to every click. I, I suppose. It was <laughs> just... A, it was the early business entrepreneur The only ones you missed were probably but... like uh, the school band click. You probably missed that one. I, I skipped that. The drama kids? Actually, no. I was in theater class okay. and was friends with some of them. There so, you go. bad read. Like, I really just... Uh, Glee, I did it all, Glee buddy. Club. I did not do Glee Club. But yeah. I was doing some charity stuff even in high school. Oh, there so you go. So, I was in that kind, of, that kind of group, too. Um, well, I seem to remember was... you telling me a story about you left college by accident? <laughs> yeah, that's... Kind of because I mean, story. you know, you're you're Matt Stout. You're the studious, hardworking overachiever. So it must have been a, a clearly an accident weird. that that led to you leaving school. It was weird. I'll try to sum it up best I can. I was from the time I was 19. All right, I was doing a double major in business and psychology. So I had to do two. As scenes. one does. I mean, I, I didn't know what I was majoring in poker. It was perfect. <laughs> Business and psychology. Like, what better combo if you yeah. were double majoring, getting ready for a poker career? Like, what else would uh, you take? Maybe like a minor in architecture if you want to build some cool chip towers <laughs> or something. All right. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> so I'm in my first of two senior years when I turned 21. I had to do one for business, one for psych. And I, I, I got really good grades at like a fairly tough state school. And Rutgers. No. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it's the College of New Jersey. Rutgers will accept anybody. TCNJ is like a fairly selective, You're like small liberal right arts now. school. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Somebody just booed loudly in their car. Someone just turned off the podcast altogether. <laughs> um, so basically what happened was I... Um, I was in the middle of my first of two senior years. I turned 21. I spent my entire winter break in Atlantic City. I actually turned 21 in the middle of finals week, and I was going an hour and a half back and forth to Atlantic City, like studying at the table while grinding one, two, no limit. That's how much of a degen I was. Um, (laughs) And still did well in all my finals. Went to Atlantic City for the entire winter break. um, Grinded up like an AK roll from being pretty much Bosto. Got back to school like five, six weeks later after winter break was over. 
Um, and they told me that I had, I was missing a signature or a form for my student loan paperwork and that they, because I hadn't paid and because I didn't answer the letter they sent to my parents' house, you know, instead of calling my cell phone, which Ugh. they had the number to, they, uh, they had unregistered me from all my classes yeah. and, um, that the only way to get signed back in was to have the Dean of the business school sign me back in. So I had a meeting with him, like after I just handed over half my bankroll in cash trying to get signed back into my classes so that, you know, half of the previous semester's tuition was paid or whatever. Um, I was supposed to have a meeting with the dean of the business school, the only guy who could sign me back in. I went and he wasn't there. You're just like, and I didn't go back an hour or two later like I should yeah. have. And I came back the next day instead. And they were like, oh, he's on vacation. And I'm like, oh. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I like it's begged to have out. someone else that could sign me back in or get in touch while he's on vacation. I just got shut down and I decided to take a semester off. I took like the four grand I had left, went back to Atlantic City, turned it into like 70 grand within five weeks or so. Did they ever ship you back your half of the tuition? Uh, no, it was owed. It was, oh, a, it was, it was owed, a semester. Okay. For, yeah, it was I, from the previous semester. Got it, got it, got it. Um, so yeah, that... That was still kind of a sunk cost. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, of course, I would have financed it had I known that I, it was going to go that way. I should have gone back and been like, uh, now that you haven't signed me back in, I want that cash back. I didn't even really think about it. I was just like, well, yeah. I went from being broke to having an AK roll in five weeks. We can go hustle and make make it back. So was that the moment when you ran it up? When you were just like, I could do this? So that was um, January 06. Um, and the boom would, times, yeah. It, like, poker was as good as it's gonna get ever <laughs> at that point, basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hope I'm wrong, I hope there's a second boom, but that was huge. Uh, so I went back to Atlantic City, kind of grinded a bunch of one, two, some daily tournaments around AC, the weekly 300 at Taj on Saturdays, and I final tabled that, um, back to back weeks to get my roll up to like 10, 11k. And then I went and played the World Series of Poker circuit events at Caesars in early March of 2006. In Vegas or Caesars? Caesars Atlantic City, Atlantic sorry. City. Um, and I busted out of like the first 300. And then I played a 75 sit and go to get into the 560, 550, whatever it was. I, and I... Ended up final tabling that and chopping it five ways with Matt Glantz and three other guys for thirty-four grand, and that was sort of like the the, the defining point that really started my career. Then you're off and running. Yeah, needless to say, we went from like a ten k roll to a forty-four k roll that day, and things were things were good. Yeah. Um, and then I won two back-to-back -back seats into the ten k main event, two hundred rebuys, and the only two satellites they had. So I sold one to Nick Frangos and played the other seat, just free Nick rolling in my first day. Yeah, Nick Frangos, that's an old school AC reference, Nicky, buddy. Nicky. Wow. Yeah. What so happened I, to Nick? I don't know. I still see him around grinding cash in Atlantic City from time to time. Okay. I think he's just like grinds mixed game cash, which is why you don't hear about Did him. He I don't like think he plays big, tournaments uh, at all. He had a big ESPN 
uh, episode one time, didn't he? Yeah, one of the... I like, can't remember if it was the series or if it was maybe no, the USPC. It was both. He made a couple okay. of like those prelim and stud final tables when they were still showing final table prelims at the World Series. Okay. And he also had like a whole feature about him on the US Poker Championships at the Taj because he was like one of the biggest name Atlantic City players at that point. I remember. Okay. So they had him like walking on the beach in Atlantic City chatting about life. <laughs> um... Well, you mentioned, this brings me to one of my first questions, is uh, your first big life tournament. You mentioned you won the seats into the 10K. What was that like, your first 10K? Uh, I punted 100 bigs with jacks against queens. That was just like, I still haven't forgiven myself for it. Really? Because that's how I am, you know. It's literally... Was it that obvious? Because um... remember, you're looking at it through 2016 or 2017 colored glasses. And what we know that's about the opposite. poker now... But that's the opposite. Like, back then, it was way worse to get 100 bigs in in this spot. Back then, people didn't four bet without Queens Plus, And the guy had Queens. I guess and I was lucky he had Queens. You know, <laughs> before one talking against Queens. He like, probably didn't even like it. No, he didn't. He was like, this is when, He four bet me, and then I ripped. And he was like, oh, blah, sigh, and called with Queens. And I'm like, all right. Jumping off the parking garage. <laughs> well, was it the first level, or were you deep or something? Uh, it was fifty and a hundred, so it was probably second level. Okay, okay. Yeah, I was at least you weren't deep. It was ten k starting stacks and ten k's back then. That's how they did. <laughs> yeah. Dollar for dollar, yeah. You felt like you actually lost ten thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when did, I kind of uh, did. When did you settle in to the lifestyle of uh, putting up ten k's with regularity? Um, that wasn't really an issue because w- less than a year later, I started getting staked by Cliff Josephy. Who's um, that? <laughs> you're hilarious. Never heard of him. <laughs> Johnny Bax. <laughs> um, so even what, though what's I he still... done lately? <laughs> was he here before the final table? No. Well, he was here for a bit. Um, they were doing Sims at Jay Farber's house. Jay Farber, okay. Because I remember you telling me you used to do, run simulations for somebody here for the World Series, right? Yeah, we've done it a couple times. Um, we did coaching for Amir Lehavat. We oh, yeah, yeah. all the simulations at my house. Zach Elwood came and like, videoed him, was doing all kinds of poker tell stuff. We had a lot of really good uh, local players who were here to to kind of mimic the his opponents. We started with the actual stack sizes that they would have at the final table and just tried to sort of simulate it as best we can to kind of see what dynamics will come up, what to expect at the final table, and just kind of get them a little more comfortable and ready. It's more, it's like almost as much of a psychological thing as anything, just kind of so that they don't go in feeling nervous, that they feel like they've talked through a lot of the hands, mm-hmm. talked through a lot of the the reads and tendencies of their opponents with like a whole group of eight or nine of the best players in Vegas. So it really puts them in a position where they're like really comfortable and like because when that many really good poker minds come together and discuss something, like we're almost always going to come to a consensus within like one hand on a range. It's like, okay, well, he's definitely going to go with ace queen here, and he's probably going to go with ace jack, not going with ace ten. It's like the like everyone will be able to narrow things down like so specifically that it really puts them in a position where they feel like they have a good grasp on what every player at the table is capable of, what we expect from them. And it's worked out. Yeah, it's worked out. It worked out. Amir took third place, and then two years later, we did the same thing for Neil Blumenfeld at, when he made the final table. 
and Neil. I mean, Neil would Neil would talk more crap on himself than I would here. But I will say <laughs> that Neil was expected to be the worst player at the final table based on some of the hands that he played during the coverage. Um, so we we helped dissect his game a lot. Um, Amir was like the lead coach for that, and then because he's really close friends with Neil, and he Neil knew how much it helped Amir. So Neil had uh, Amir put it together for him, and then Tom Marchese and I ended up being like the secondary lead coaches because we ended again, up again doing... these names I'm not familiar with. Again, like these nobodies. <laughs> I'm sorry that I keep bringing up all these obscure names. D list, no... maybe. D list for sure. <laughs> so uh, Marchese and I, after we did all the simulations, took Neil. Uh, we actually had Neil over here um, on this very table that we're <laughs> that we're doing the podcast I from. I still see his imprint. <laughs> yeah, I have my fedora upstairs too. Oh, he gave you a fedora. He gave me a fedora. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, Tom and I did a lot of like ICM work with him just to help him narrow down the math because the simulations, we didn't um, do as much detail into the math side of everything, and he wasn't as comfortable with that. And he got coolered he or bad beaded out or something like that? Uh, I can't remember off no, the top he, of my head. No, three-handed, he got like deuces against Joe McKeon's queens and okay. was like really short. It was like him and Josh Beckley were like the short stacks against McKeon who had all the chips. Um, oh, okay. I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, okay. But uh, but throughout were, that final were, table, yeah. he had played really really well. Like, uh, it, and we had kept it a secret who had coached him. Um, so eventually, during like the day two coverage or late in the day, um, I think Neil let Kara Scott and um, Norman Chad start talking about who the coaches were. So we got a lot of coverage and a lot of name drops from that. It was kind of fun because yeah. everyone had been talking on Twitter about how much better Neil Blumenfeld was playing and wondering <laughs> who coached him. And I was just and sitting there. And your ego was just growing. Oh, like yeah. A I mean, like, it was pretty awesome. Every like, I wasn't like the main play. coach, but it was like the three of us were kind of like the, uh, the team that were yeah. more involved than everyone else. But like also everyone who, like I said, everyone who does the simulations, it's like a pretty big group, but they all like do their part. Everyone kind of gives their two cents. Everyone gives some like really good counterpoints about how people may play and what they think about different reads on different players. Um, but back to your 10 Ks when you got comfortable, uh, when you got uh, comfortable just be- playing the circuit. I mean, I was comfortable pretty quickly. I, like it was still really easy back then. Like even in 10 Ks, there were a lot of really, really clueless players who were just, if you had any concept of strategy and I'd, I'd been like a gamer my whole life, video games, like card games, Captain board games. Team. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've always been pretty nerdy. So when I found a way that I could use my nerdiness for profit, I was like, let's go. He'd, Julio just turned around to stare at my vast collection of board games, poker chips, <laughs> Jenga, Cards Against Humanity. It's not the There's like, it continues up. No, dude, it continues upstairs. Oh, okay. I just didn't want to be embarrassed with well, how many. Yeah. Like, when it's stacked up to the ceiling, this is, it just this gets is for a company. This, this yeah, this is like pretending that we only play Monopoly, Settlers of Catan, Ticket to Ride. Yeah, these are not super advanced games. I bet the hardcore gaming stuff is upstairs. Yeah. Um, I'm propping up with my my mic with Trivial Pursuit. I'm such a nerd. Like I try to hide it by like shaving my head and having a goatee and like yeah. looking tough. But yeah, like it doesn't work. People figure it out pretty quickly. <laughs> you have like an eight minute conversation with me. Like this kid's a dork, and I'm like, he just gets so excitable, so happy to be a dork. Like I'm I'm fine with it. <laughs> bring up any topic you have a, a semi interest in, and you're, you're off and running. So hey, that's a good quality to have. 
Uh, so now let's talk about heartache. The worst bad beat you ever put on anybody. <laughs> well, that's not heartache for me. That's a good beat. I call those good beats. Yeah, but somebody else went home and cried over it, I hope. Um, it's funny, like, I can think of, like, random hands where I put, like, a really statistically bad beat on somebody. Yeah, those are fun, too. You yeah, ever had I mean, a perfect like, perfect? Yeah, like, the other day, like... The other day, yeah. You mean this week? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was playing, like, a Venetian 400 or something, and, uh, this guy, I had been three-betting this guy a ton, and he was on the button, he opened, he had, like, 35 bigs, and I had ace, 10 of clubs in the small blind, and so I decided because of the dynamic, because I expected him to get pretty out of line four-betting, and I just decided to three-bet and get it in, even though that's not normally my line here. And I three-bet and got it in. No, I just three-bet small. And, and then called off. Called off. Yeah. He had ace-jack, and the flop came jack-4-4 four, four, rainbow. <laughs> I make it the flush. Okay. <laughs> just stuff like that, but honestly, I... That's I'm, not perfect-perfect, by the way. That's... That's runner-runner, but that's not perfect-perfect. I, I've hit perfect-perfect, not like not like the absolute 989-to-1 running two exact cards, but like... Two, hitting two out of three where you have to hit your kicker twice. I'm sure I've done stuff like that. Especially oh, yeah, online. yeah. Or like if you like if you turn open-ended hit... straight flush, you pick up two outs. Yeah, like you have... I mean, like you have ace-nine against ace-king on ace-king-deuce, and you have to hit nine-nine to actually win yeah. and scoop. Like I've, I've probably hit... I, I'm sure I've hit hands like that like online and stuff, but I'm trying to think of like a really bad beat I've put on someone for a lot of equity because... Obviously, like the ones that really matter are when you're, you're deep, deep in a big yeah. event for six figures and just like put some ridiculous beat on somebody. Um, those, but honestly, I'm really having trouble remembering like when I've hit like r- really, really sick bad beats in those. Plots. I, bet I you mean, have I've got it in like the stories three to the other one, way, right? four to one dog, but like none of like the crazy like five percent, two percent. Like, yeah. I'm trying to. I'm really trying to think now, like. Thinking through like each one of my big six-figure scores, trying to think of hands that propelled me to it, and like, I mean, there's been times where I get it in pair under pair and hit, and like, I forget about that pretty quickly. But I'm like, I'm really trying to think of some absurd beat in a, a big six-figure equity pot. And I'm coming hey, up with hey, nothing. It, I can tell you the ones I lost. Conscience is clear though. then. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if anything, you're owed. Oh yeah. You're gonna put a nasty beat on I, someone soon. I'm that guy that's like, I run so bad. When am I going to run good? Um, when am I going to get my one time? No, but it's funny. It's like exactly like Mikey McDermott said in Rounders. He's like, in Confessions of Winning Poker Player, Jack King said, few players were called big pots. They've won, strange as it seems. But every player can remember with remarkable accuracy yeah. the outstanding tough beats of their career. And like, Well, that's why we ask it that way because it's better. You know, everyone's got their bad beat story lo- loaded up, you know. Yeah, I know. And, like, I hate telling bad beat stories. I It's not really, like, I do my best to not do it ever and make fun of people in the most entertaining ways possible when they tell me bad beat stories. <laughs> All right, then we'll switch gears and you can tell me about the biggest pot you've ever won or lost. Tournament, cash game, doesn't matter. Could be big emotionally. Could be big monetarily. <laughs> Um, yeah, near the bubble of the Bellagio 25K main event that David Williams ended up winning. So I think it was 2008, 2009. Festa? 
No, like the 25K, the championship. Oh, okay, WPT championship. Uh, Faraz, Jaka, and I were like the two chip leaders of the tournament on the bubble, and he was literally opening like 90-plus percent of hands going ballistic. Um, and I flatted him from the small blind against hijacked with king, queen of clubs. Uh, comes 10-9 deuce. We both have... We both have over two million at eight sixteen thousand to start this hand. Um, flops ten nine deuce with one club. I check call the turn. Did he have you covered? Or did you have him covered? Yeah, me covered. See, don't they ever teach oh, no, you I, not I, to I, mess with uh, the chip leader on the money bubble? Julio, can I see you outside for a second? <laughs> um. Well, no, but it, it was like, that's why I didn't three-bet him. Cause, uh, that's, <laughs> literally, that's all it comes down to. It's yeah, like, exactly. I, I'm, I'm not allowed to fold this hand pre-flop against someone who's opening almost literally any two. Exactly. Um, this was shortly after Faraz had five-bet jammed with 9-3 offsuit against two aces and gotten there to bust Heather Sue Mercer like, near the bubble. Now I remember this. Yeah. I remember this day. Yeah. I remember she was not happy. She took it like a fucking champ. Well, she just smiled, was like, looked stunned, but like smiled in a shocked way and said, good luck, everybody, and walked <laughs> out. Um, she didn't flip a table, but she didn't look happy. <laughs> That's right. what I'm saying. So I think 18 paid, and she busted 20 if there are 19 left when this hand happens. And I turned the nuts with King Queen on a 10-9 deuce jack board. Wait, did it go uh, check check on the flop? No, I check all. Um... I check all and turn the nuts. I check raise like 150 to 380K. Um, he calls and the river is a jack. Ugh. And I check call 1 million against jack 9 for a river boat. Um, so it's not like that statistically unlikely. But that like as far as the dynamic when he was like literally going so nuts that he's 5-bet jamming 9-3 mm-hmm. offsuit against two aces. Um uh, it, was, it was pretty disgusting. Did and you call we, off your whole stack? No. Oh, okay. I still cashed. I okay. still, like, I think I had, like, a quarter million or 300K left after the hand, squeezed into the money, busted 17th after I lost a flip to Williams for, like, half a million at 816. When he bets the river there, like, what are you beating? Aces? Kings? Right? He's not betting those. I'm just saying out of his value hands. I wasn't there. You, you could fill me in. <laughs> Do you... Do you just look at Faraz Jaka when he no, bombs a river and go, well, Faraz always has value hands. No, I'm just I'm okay. narrowing down the, the top part of the range. Okay. Yeah. There are times when he's betting with bluffs and trip jacks and things right. like Ace that. Right, ace-jack would do it. King-jack would do it. Yeah. Queen-jack Can I see you outside? <laughs> <laughs> Listen. You got to think of both sides of each hand. Listen, yeah, it, I, clearly, it's haunted you for quite some time. So. Yeah, and then in 2009, Sohel Shamsin had put a beat on me that kept me back for a few more years. <laughs> um, three-handed in WPT Foxwoods when the payout structures were still crazy steep. It was 935k for first, 465 for second, and 265 for third. And I was That's absurd. And I was 150k in makeup. Oh. So my payout structure was like 50, 150, 375. Yeah. Um, so I get three-handed. Um, we have equal stacks for the most part. I open the button with six five of hearts. 
Sohel defends from the big. Flop is king, king, four with two hearts. He leads. I, he leads small. And I'm pretty sure he has a big hand, so I just call. And uh, turns a three of hearts, so I make a flush and have an open ended straight flush draw. He leads again. I raise. He rips, and I call. Or no, he. I think he check ripped. Either way, we get in on the turn. He has trip kings with no flush draw, and he rivers a boat for. Uh, Did the board parody hit his kicker? He hit his kicker. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was fun. Somehow that's worse. Somehow that's worse. When they hit their kicker. Somehow it's worse. Um, <laughs> actually, it's the same, but whatever. Statistically, it's the same, but somehow, <laughs> but somehow it's worse. Yeah, so whatever. Those were like the two that were in like the three, four, five hundred K range. Yeah. That like, you know, you'll never forget. Yeah. Um, but I'm honestly trying to think of like a nasty beat I've put on someone for that much equity. I'm having trouble coming Again, up. Again, you're owed. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just biases. It's just me trying to like convince myself that I'm good at poker. Like I always <laughs> get it in good and sometimes I lose, but yeah, sometimes yeah. I hold and then I make top three. If only, <laughs> if only if, if as long as you don't catch yourself saying Phil's quote, if if luck weren't involved, I'd win every time. Can we just not talk about Halbuth? <laughs> no, he comes up on every podcast. That's unfortunate. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and never listen to your podcast. Then. Oh, I was kidding. Except this maybe is the my first, own episode because you know this. I'm a huge egomaniac and narcissist. Yeah, you got to <laughs> make all your friends and family listen as well. And oh yeah, that'll uh, that'll get us to our 50 viewers. I think you're ambitious. God damn, <laughs> you really think you have a shot at 50? <laughs> How many of them are going to be you listening on dis- different devices oh, at the same time? Man. Like seven, right? I, I don't know. How long do you have to listen before you get credit for the for the listen? Do you, you have to listen to that. the whole thing or just like two seconds of it? Can I just keep hitting refresh? You could do that. That seems reasonable. <laughs> I would never do that. Sure you would. I never. Sure we, you would. We definitely don't pay people to do that at the office. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> Let's talk about oh, uh, what's your your best degen story, but outside of poker, because these are always these always say a lot about the type of person you are. Um. Okay. <laughs> Not to put any pressure on you. No, I really, I don't do that much gambling, which is kind of sad. It's like when I first started playing poker, no high stakes monopoly. Oh, I mean that. Anything I think I have an edge in, like I've played a thousand euro heads up game of Monopoly before. Okay. Um, but um I mean I wouldn't play that big against most people willing to play for a thousand euros a game because that was when the euro actually had value too. So that was like <laughs> we I basically played a fourteen hundred dollar game of Monopoly. Yeah. But that guy like he didn't even realize that when you sell back houses that you only get half the cash back. So it took him like what a noob. He was stuck like 4k to me before he went, "Wait, I don't get the full value of the So he would he's like, "I don't get the full value of the house back? That's bullshit." So he would it's like sell when you all see of his house in poker count a straight on their fingers. Oh yeah, it's great. <laughs> so he would like sell all of his houses on one side of the board if he was all on cash as I passed that part yeah. and buy new houses on the other side of the board and I just had to try not to laugh. Cuz I was like I was friendly with the kid like He's a, a Dutch uh, poker. Say poker. his name so he's embarrassed. Raza14. <laughs> um, he was like a legendary high-stakes psychopath player. He like 
had a lot of good results, played well, but like definitely is like a little nuts and kind of an awesome human. But um, <laughs> uh, but we were playing in person. I was staying at his apartment in Amsterdam, and we were playing in person, passing the app back and or like the iPad. Was back he and letting forth. you stay there for free? Yeah. And you were taking his money? Yeah, but then I would buy him dinner. And oh. Okay. Yada yada yada. <laughs> I always take care of the people I stay with. But he's the one that kept upping the bets. It was like, we we started out playing friendly 100 euro a game matches, and then I realized how bad he was, and I almost felt bad playing 100 euros a game. And then he insisted on upping the stakes as he got more and more stuck trying to get unstuck. In Monopoly. In Monopoly. Did you guys venture into any other games? No, I was I was just going to play as much Monopoly as I ever could with him. Right, so you don't consider this a degenerate story because No, I still have, have my edge. degen story, yeah. actually. This... It's not really gambling if you have the edge. I actually, I put myself in a spot where I probably didn't have the edge, but still came out smelling like a rose as usual. Um. <laughs> no, no, you're due. Remember, we got to keep feeding. Oh that yeah, man. I'm due. I'm, I'm, I'm unlucky. I never get lucky. Yeah. I, I need to start getting lucky because I never do. <laughs> um, so Phrasing. this is a fairly degen story because it's kind of an absurd thing to bet on, I guess. Um, Asher Kniff, John Bornstein, and I were hanging out at the bar at all Hard Rock. East Coasters. Yeah, it's a very East Coast story. And we were on the East Coast at Hard Rock. Eating hoagies. Definitely hoagies. No, we were just getting hammered at the bar. (laughs) Um, And I was... That was right before EPT Barcelona. And I was about to fly from Miami to Barcelona two days later. We were done with the tournament. So all the focus on like what we're doing next, blah, blah, blah. We start talking about Europe. Uh, Barcelona, Amsterdam, Prague, and Bornstein seemed like really, really excited and wanted to come with me. He was thinking about booking a flight, um, but then he went away to go to the bar for a second. And Asher, who's one of John's best friends, turns to me and goes, "You know, he's never coming to Europe, right? <laughs> like, yeah, no shot. Yeah, like definitely not occurring. <laughs> like, but and like I had to weigh the fact." that I know Asher knows John a lot better than I do. Mm-hmm. I had to weigh that against the fact that John seemed really, really, yeah. really excited about this idea. Yeah. And having someone who'd been to Amsterdam seven times, like knows knows his way around Europe to some extent, um, he wanted to have me with him uh, just to kind of show him around, be his guide. So I was like, man, I really feel like John's coming. And side, side note, have you considered that as a second career? No. An American to, uh, tour guide in Amsterdam. Can we move on? <laughs> Go ahead. So, uh, this ends up turning into uh, a question of how much, like, what kind of price Asher will lay me on it? Because I know I can get a price on this with how sure Asher seems. Wait, so you're betting on whether he'll go? Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. And we're literally just betting if, if John Borenstein is going to show up and meet up with me in Amsterdam. That's it. Okay. Like, will he arrive in Amsterdam while I'm there? Mm-hmm. Can I get a picture with John Borenstein in Amsterdam and send it to Asher? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we start trying to figure out the line and I talk to John and ask him what line I should be getting. Oh man. John tells me that like two and a half seems fair. Oh, man. <laughs> this is against his best friend too. Oh my God. Um, And then I end up booking the bet with Asher at two and a quarter to one, uh, my 500 to his 1125. Then he shows up. Yeah. So, so even if, Jonathan if, if, is saying if, he's a, he's a long shot. Yeah. 
Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided to bet it anyway. Um, the source told you it's not looking good. <laughs> he said 2.5. I'm drunk and want to gamble. Yeah. I thought two and a quarter was good enough because I figured that I would be persuasive going forward. Are you allowed to influence it? Uh, the thing is, the terms of the bet with Asher, even though we had talked a lot about it at the bar, was that I couldn't tell John that the bet was booked. So I never did. But John knew. Yeah. Like, we, I, I tried to play it off and, like, not say anything about the bet being booked. <laughs> but, like, when I'm sitting, like, John's also, like, anyone who knows John Bornstein knows that he's just, like, the, the quintessential poker player, just kind of wandering, vagrant, does everything last minute, like, doesn't, I don't even think he has a credit card, doesn't do anything for himself, just like, <laughs> it reminds me, like, a week ago, I was at Hard Rock Tampa, and I got a text from Zoe, he's like, hang on, it's going to be a few minutes before I come meet you, I have to walk John Borenstein to the lost and found and oh show him where God. it is. So, like, I died laughing because that's how John is. So, basically, I'm acting as John's, like, uh, John's travel. I don't even remember what those things are called anymore. The people who book travel, like, travel, travel agent. agent. Yeah, those don't exist anymore. So, they're, think. like, slipping out of my vocabulary. Yeah. I was basically John's travel agent for the whole thing. Have him, like, sending me PayPal. And I'm, like, getting all of his info and booking oh, his man. flight for him. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> So, I mean, John knew that the bet was booked, but I, I didn't break the terms. I never told him the bet was booked. But yeah. John was like, come on, you guys were talking all about it. Like, yeah, and then, it's pretty unfortunately, obvious. Asher's never recovered and has never run good again. Yeah. Well, no, this is after Asher beat me heads up for the opening event and then won the 15 KWPT. And <laughs> it helped me feel less like I, I like had been crushed by one of like the Borgata regs with no big results. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, at least he ran like God won the fifteen K right after he, he ran like God off. to get into it. Yeah. And then won it. I'm not gonna get into that whole story, but he called like Asher called me after he misclick registered that fifteen hundred dollar satellite, like asking me if I could because I'm sponsored by Borgata, is like, oh, like, is there a way I can unregister? Like, you've already seated anteing, <laughs> playing hands. Like, you want me to call the programmers and have them take your stack out of play and refund you? Like, yeah, no, that's not gonna work. Yeah, exactly. So I told him that if he won the seat, I would try to buy it from him, but then party wouldn't let that happen, and we, I mean, so Asher ended up getting stuck playing the 15k, missing a family trip to Europe. And his mom was really mad at him until he won it for over a million dollars. But anyway, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, but I at least like I got eleven hundred and twenty-five dollars of Asher's money back after that when he uh, had to pay me for John showing up in Amsterdam, which he did. <laughs> nice little trip rebate. Yeah, that was fun. So rapid fire time. What's your favorite thing about being a poker pro? Freedom. What else could I say? Like you, you just. I, there's other things where if I went back to school, grad school, worked really hard at a career, I could make way more money than I could make at poker, and I don't really want to. Honestly, like, <laughs> I I could... You don't want to be a slave to 9 to 5. It's not even necessarily that. I could become a day trader and do it myself. It just seems more boring to me than, like, playing poker. There's, there's a lot of ways that I'm interested in that I could make a lot of money, but I would have less freedom, even if it was owning the kind of store or restaurant that I want to own, I'm going to be tied down a lot more than I am now. I have the freedom to 
wake up one day and be like, I was supposed to play today, but I'm not. I'm going to sit around the house and do whatever I want and play with my dogs and go work out. And like, And it's really nice to just have that because even people who make millions of dollars a year don't have that kind of freedom. A couple of my students are hedge fund managers and traders and stuff. And while they're making millions and millions of dollars a year, they're not that happy with it. They want to play poker a lot more. Like all they want to do is squeeze in these trips to to Borgata, to Hard Rock, come play Portland Bay 101, come play LAPC. Um, and a lot of times they're not able to. So we're like group texting. They're asking me if I'm going to be at different events. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'll be there. And then like they text me back like a week later, like, oh, I can't make it. Like, And it's really disappointing for them. And like I just kind of get to do whatever the hell I want. So, But is a poker a job for you? Uh, yes. Does it feel like a job to you? I don't let it feel too much like a job. I I limit my hours more. I probably, like, early in my career, I would literally average 70 hours a week just because I was out of my mind, wanted to build my bankroll, wanted to learn as much as I could. I was sort of burning myself out. And I would say I've kind of, like, gradually decreased um, over the years to the point where I probably play 30 hours a week now, maybe a little bit less. Um, especially because I have a lot of other interests now. I spend a lot of time doing one-on-one coaching with students. I'm going to start running uh, in-person coaching seminars at Borgata and probably at Hard Rock starting in April. Um, and I also do a decent amount of work with BorgataPoker.com on like their promotions, the structures of their tournaments, the schedules, um, all of it. So um, I have... Uh, and obviously with the charity series of poker, I'm running three charity poker tournaments a year at Hard Rock Borgata and Planet Hollywood in Vegas. And we're going to expand probably potentially start running one at Best Bet. Well, I want to talk about that since you brought it up because I don't uh, – how did it, how did it get started? Why is it a thing in the world <coughs> that exists? Um, okay, I guess I've – yeah, we can move on because that was sort of the end of my answer to the last question. Sorry, so I'm, yeah, no, we can I spend like, back. but no, I do. That's why I have like you know ten to fifteen hours a week that I end up devoting to other things. So it still fills in the, the gap of me yeah. playing like twenty five, thirty hours a week, but still having like forty hours a week that I'm spending on all of my interests and like the things I'm working on. Um, the charity series of poker, I started doing a little bit of charity stuff in high school, but not much. And my older brother, who's two years older than me, was always like the biggest positive influence in my life. And he, even though we kind of grew up in a toxic environment, lower middle class, uh, no one in my family had been to college except my dad who dropped out after a semester. Um, He got into Johns Hopkins and my parents found a way to like make it work financially and everything. Um, Your older brother did. Yeah. Yeah. So after I had been kind of slacking my first two years of high school, spending too much of my time as like misfit skater kid, like not, really caring that much. I'm like busy chasing girls, didn't really want to do my homework. <laughs> I'm picturing you in some airwalks or some vans, sneakers. Yes. Doing kickflips. Jinkos, bro. Jinkos. Got the Jinkos. Oh, wow, that was the Jinko time. With the pipe, the big pipe legs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I thought I was so cool. It was you were, man. No. Nah. Don't let it's anybody tell you differently. Unlikely at best. <laughs> um, so... So I kind of had this sort of realization that I was going to look like an idiot going to community college or not getting into college. My brother was like one step below Ivy League now. <laughs> so the competitive rivalry, uh, like the sibling rivalry sort yeah. of kicked in, got me a little more focused on school, like kind of 
turned my life around a little bit. And then my brother was, during my senior year of high school, he was the president of Johns Hopkins Habitat for Humanity chapter. And I was down there one time, saw like Sandtown, Baltimore, which is like a really, really rough area. Um, and that's where they were working on building houses and restoring houses. So I. It's also where they shot the wire. Yeah. <laughs> Can I continue? <laughs> so the, the recurring themes of this episode are Can I see you outside and Can I yeah, continue? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is where they shot the wire. I haven't, I haven't finished watching that show yet, so that's not why. What, the, my mind didn't go there, but I'm sure it will once Don't I finally bother. get around to watching it's not it. Worth it. Yeah, that's not what I've heard from anyone who's ever watched The Wire, <laughs> so stop trolling me, Julio Rodriguez. <laughs> Just stop it right now. <laughs> so, you're, so your superstar brother is... Uh... My brother is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so he, seeing what he was doing with Habitat down there, got me interested in it and made me start thinking about more about giving back, uh, especially because... Like we didn't grow up in like a great situation yeah. or uh, economically or otherwise. So it was just something where I felt like really fortunate to have gotten as far as I have and wanted to be able to give back. So I, it sort of started in college. I became the vice president of my college's Habitat for Humanity chapter. I ran a $10 rebuy tournament, um, which was probably illegal after I got some prizes donated from local <laughs> business and like, I just hustled my way to raising like a thousand bucks or a little under a thousand bucks for my campus chapter. Um, and we had a blast doing it. I was like, that was my first time being a TD running up and down the stairs in a, <laughs> in a dorm where it was like a bunch of lounges that are in this uh, like floor, like all stacked on top of each other. I had to keep running back and forth to keep like balancing tables. And oh stuff. my gosh. It was nuts. Um, <laughs> so, but I did that cause I didn't want to have to go through all the red tape of running it. Um, somewhere else on campus where we might get shot down. I basically had an advisor to Habitat kind of say, yeah, you can get away with doing it. Try to do it in the dorm so that we don't What's have to like... What's somebody going to do? Come in and be right. like, oh, so, look at this guy trying to raise money for housing. How dare he? Ugh. Arrest no, but him I mean, immediately. It's still, it's still gambling <laughs> on campus, yeah. man. Like, we're still... I was 19. Like, I, was, <laughs> I, I think I was 18 or 19 doing this. Uh, I wasn't Sorry, sir. On, it's so. illegal for 19-year-olds to care. <laughs> You're going to jail. I'm more, it was more getting about the uh, getting at the underage gambling. Thing. I understand. Mm. I'm just saying the hypocrisy that would be involved. I get it, but so you start so so that was a blast, kind of. And throughout college, I was involved with a lot of ha uh, charity stuff. And then when I started playing poker for a living, um, I mean, it's amazing. We have a lot of freedom. I've made good money, but I also just like kind of felt bored with it and empty. Like just like you, we're not serving any useful function in society there's people like cleaning toilets in the walmart bathroom that are serving way more of a useful purpose to society like we could all drop off of the face of the earth no one's going to give a shit nothing's going to change like, right not i mean uh, we're we're helping to employ the people who run the poker rooms because we, there's one more ass in the chair but and we're really not doing so it, it was right, something but, that but made me feel like job I uh, needs to do something yeah, because but, you could also do something in your personal life. Right. That's why I have the CSOP. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of my plan when I started playing poker for a living was to eventually um, partner up with some casino, uh, casinos and run some of these events. And it was something that I planned on doing a lot earlier, but then 
back to the house story, I ended up buying this house in December 2010. And while it was a perfect time in the market to do it, it was four months before Black Friday. And my plan was to settle down here, travel a lot less, play all the Vegas events, play online from home, and then just travel three months a year maybe or less. Um, and that plan went out the window pretty quickly when Black Friday hit and I moved to did Costa Rica. You, did you call your realtor and get a refund? <clears throat> and explain calmly? Can I continue? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're the best, Julio. Thank um, you. Yeah, the I don't first person that's ever said that to me. <laughs> <laughs> Charity series of poker. So yeah, it, it, I was gonna start it like after I bought this house, settled down, 2011, 2012 ish. I was gonna get it rolling, but then I had to move outside the country to be able to continue to play online poker for a living. So threw a little wrench in the works and I ended up putting it off until 2014 when I sort of started to settle back down in the United States and stopped living outside the U.S. for such a big chunk of the year. Um, Because I was in a relationship. She was in law school in the U.S. So it just made it so that if I wanted to see her, I kind of had to travel the U.S. circuit and then be home from time to time. so that was one of the reasons that I finally got it going in 2014. We've run eight charity poker tournaments, about to do complete our third season. The end of this month, January 28th of Borgata, we have a $220 turbo event um, the night before the WPT main event. And the first eight events have raised right around $150,000 for That's awesome. food banks, Habitat for Humanity, and Brad Garrett's foundation, which uh, provides financial assistance to the families uh, to families with terminally ill children. Brad Garrett, the poker player. Yes, poker pro Brad Garrett. <laughs> I was actually like, I was like talking to Brad. He's great. He's hilarious. Yeah. Like it's it's great to have him at our charity events too because. He's the kind of guy where you just hand him the mic and tell him to go, and everyone's going to be laughing their ass off. He'll just, he'll improv, just start breaking everyone's balls. He'll just walk around the room destroying everybody, and they're, like, they're exactly. just dying laughing. <laughs> and he does everything where it's like hysterically inappropriate, but no one get quite gets offended. Or he's like too funny for people to be mad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like. We're like, hey, Brad, I know we didn't tell you to prepare anything to MC for this event, but here's the mic. He's like, oh, I got this. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> so we always like we run open bar pre parties for an hour and a half, two hours. We get some celebrities. We have like a turbo tournament starts at like five to seven o'clock is usually over by midnight so that everyone can get plenty of sleep and play the main event the next day. Yeah, we run it like the night before the Hard Rock 5K, 5 million in August, the night before WPTs at Borgata and, the, and during one of the starting flights of the World Series main event. Well, that's awesome, man. Yep. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot more stressful and a lot more work than I thought it was. I'm finally expanding. Got uh, Lexi Gavin as our new vice president of marketing. I'm teaching her how to do all the things I don't want to do anymore. <laughs> <laughs> all the tedious groundwork. But we're also doing this event for a volunteer organization she's, she's involved with called Support the Kid. It's a children's cancer charity, and it's all volunteer-based, so all the money goes to helping children and research. So it's a, it's a good cause, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Take that, older brother. Take that, older brother. Now you're just a <laughs> psychologist helping people with their lives while I, One at a time. while I get drunk and play poker. But actually, my brother came and played his first major tournament at 
the last charity series of poker event in Borgata and cashed with me. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, so we were at the same table for a big chunk Wait, of it. Wait, you said cash he, with me. He bluffed if... Vanessa Selbst and put Vanessa Selbst literally on tilt. Like, really? Like, I didn't. I couldn't believe Vanessa cared about this hand. <laughs> but she had, like, bet, bet, bet and bombed River on, like, an ace five five eight eight board or something. And my brother just, like, ripped with, with like, playing the board on the river after she bombed the river. <laughs> she literally, like, less than Minray's all in as a bluff. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and it's probably where he had to have it. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and my, I'm so impressed slash shocked that my brother did it. But he was just like, well, I thought she had nothing, so I shoved. <laughs> I'm not surprised that she cared. She takes every hand very seriously. In a $300 drunken charity tournament, I thought she, she was going to She lost, less. like, $600 to me at a 1-2 table at the Borgata. <laughs> In a spot where she barreled all the streets, and I just had the toppest of pairs. The toppest? The toppest of she pairs. She thought you would fold the toppest of pairs? Of course. You're a media well, guy. I think she I, thinks she can get I you to fold I, top uh, pair? <laughs> I think I disguised the strength of my hand very well. Uh, so I will give myself some credit there. You sh- my check call game is on point, is what I'm saying. Yeah, that loose, passive, But trappy. she was very yeah, upset when I called Hashtag the got him. She was very upset that I called. And I said, I had to remind her that... Um, She's very good at poker, and I'm not. <laughs> yeah, that is one of the problems. Just like the you can't bluff a bad player, like yep. the most basic strategies. <laughs> Just going back to like Doyleisms from Super System. <laughs> We're very curious by nature. We're going to call, guys. It's true. We kind of want to see cards. That's why we came. We didn't want to just call, call, fold. Speaking of the media, uh, what is the most frustrating thing you've read about yourself in the media? If anything. You guys are really good to me. I mean, I like it's. I don't think that's I'm, changing now. <laughs> like, I've had other players and stuff and random trolls say things like horrible things on Twitter, but I literally can't think of a time where the media ever said anything about me that I was annoyed about. I've actually. I, don't, I could be more negative, but it could be something even co- completely like uh, innocuous, like uh, um, they got your hometown wrong or. Uh, like uh, I care. They said that you were really into checkers as a kid when we all know it was chess. <laughs> this reminds me of one time when someone, I forgot his last name, um, black kid named Matt who worked for Poker News was uh, doing World Series tournament reporting. I know him time. as Matt. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I don't know his last name. So like five years ago or something, he came up to me after I won a big pot, like early mid stages of a World Series event. He's like, "Excuse me, can I get your name?" I was like, Matt Stout. He's like, oh, oh, sorry. I was like, what? Like, I don't expect you to remember all of us, man. Like, I don't have that, like. Okay, to be fair to Matt, there are some prima donnas in the poker world. (laughs) Who, if you ask them their name um, once, they will get upset. If I ask you your name six times, that's my bad. Feel free to let loose on me. Yeah, just like in real life. Yeah. (laughs) No, I remember one. I mean, I won't say his name. Because I've already said this publicly, and he seemed a little pissed. <laughs> but there's someone who lost like a huge pot um, in a World Series event, medium to huge, um, and it wasn't like real deep in the event. But obviously, it's still a little annoying. And like the, I think it was Matt who came up to him and was like, uh, "Excuse me, can I get your name?" And he goes, "Google me, bitch." <laughs> like literally, just permanently changed my perception of that very well-known player. Um, <laughs> Uh, so 
that's what that's kind of an insight to like why I think the media has always been so good to me. Like they never write a bad word about me because I'm never a dick to them. Like, okay, I, I've I've sort of found that the the poker media tend to be a lot of like the most like laid back chill people on the tour. So it's kind of worked to my advantage. Like I didn't even realize early in my career like how much just like chatting with them because they were the cool people that were around were like weren't always like pissy and focused and like about poker like i don't know so i I ended up being friendly with like a lot of poker media guys from the beginning and even when i was younger and a little more hot-headed and i would like get into it with people like al barry at the table they would paint the whole picture as like Al being a huge douche and being a nice guy, even when I'd gotten pretty out of line. So that was one of the things that I think back Poor to Al. Was like they like they did like Poker News did this whole video story like of the back and forth between us, and they left out the parts where I had gotten a little out of line and was saying some inappropriate things at the table. Wait, like, wait. They just Al, made him look Al really Barbieri bad. or Alan Al, Barry? Alan Barry. Alan Barry, okay. <laughs> I mean, they're both East Coast guys. <laughs> yeah. So so that was like one of those things where I was like, hey, I probably should have come off looking a lot worse than I did here. <laughs> but it seems like the meteors really got my back. <laughs> well, you deserve it, buddy. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I don't right, even know yeah. how to take that. I like. I still feel like it's like fifty percent sarcastic and fifty percent legitimate. Good. I want you. You to it live feels like it's space. fair and balanced reporting. Yeah, I want. I want you to live in that space of uncertainty. <laughs> I do, sir. I do. So okay, so you've obviously been uh, interviewed by non-poker media before, right? For charity series of poker, like hometown papers or something like that. Or even like idiots yeah, on the bit. rail, idiots on the rail who don't know anything about poker. What's the weirdest question you've ever gotten about poker from a non-poker person? Anything come to mind like that? Um, I'm trying to think. I would say that the thing that bothers me the most is just like when I tell someone that I play poker for a living and they're like, do you make money at it? Yeah. <laughs> like, Am I standing before you in like <laughs> tattered, torn clothes holding out a friggin' cup? Like, yeah. Well, like if I told you that I'm ju- a picture of your 600 inch TV, it's not 600 inches. It's only 150, 150 inches. Yeah. It's small compared to a 600 inch TV. <laughs> And it's a projector screen. It's not a TV. <laughs> I seem to remember. Didn't you have a projector screen upstairs too? No. Why do you remember all kinds of things about my upstairs that don't exist? Oh, it's been a long time since I partied here. It's true. Fair enough. Um, yeah, like I don't mind most of like the naive, dumb questions that people ask. I get that. Like, I feel the same way when I'm asking someone about like day trading, hedge <laughs> funds. Like, I don't know how not to sound stupid. I can't, I don't even know how to ask a question that isn't going to come off as like ignorant and uninformed. So I get how it feels to be on the other end there. And I don't get annoyed if people are asking like questions that don't make sense or get poker confused with blackjack. Like the poker confused with blackjack is like kind of funny. So like, Oh, so you count cards? (laughs) Like literally the fact that you're just like being an empathetic person right now is just like infuriating. Yeah. Just like, (laughs) I've grown up and figured out what empathy empathy is like. Like, it took me a long time to empathize. 
I think my favorite spot for empathy is when I have to, like, someone who speaks, like, especially when they speak fairly good English, but are always like, oh, I'm sorry, my English is bad. It's like, oh, yeah, oh don't worry, my German is way foreigner. worse yeah. than your English. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, my French, my Spanish, like, it, it's it's yeah. nothing compared to your English, so you should probably just be proud that you know more than one language instead of, like, feeling ashamed and embarrassed that you don't know oh. how to speak the language perfectly. I'm going to live the rest. I, I can't promise the rest of the week even, but I'm going to live the rest of my day the Matt Stout way. I really will. I re- I'm telling you, like, I'm, I'm still an asshole. I swear. Well, I, have, like, uh, I have an interview after this, so I might have to change my perspective. But there's a really. Until then. <laughs> there's a, a really, really good meme that I saw the other day. It was just like a, a rough outline, stick figure ish sketch of a person that's like. Do 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 do. Always be kind. Like you never know what's going, uh, what someone's going through. So always be nice to people. And it's like it says above it, me. And then on the other side of the thing, it's uh, it has like the same figure standing behind somebody. It's like, and it says, if you don't start walking faster, I'm gonna kill you and everything you love. <laughs> and it says, also me. Okay. <laughs> like Jekyll and Hyde of yeah, your like, own head. So, yeah, I mean, I sound empathetic right now, but I'm sure there's plenty of spots where I'm still a huge all right. dick. All right, all right. All so, yeah, right. it's it's just the do you make money ad that really grinds my gears. Yeah. If they're, like, if they're looking at me and, like, I feel like that's, like, a statement about, like, my appearance, their yeah. expectation that I'm broke. Wait, like, you make money at this? Like, you make money at it? Like, or... You. You. Of all people? You. I just you. assumed you'd be wearing a suit <laughs> and carrying a, a metal briefcase of some kind. Yeah, like I get that they're, they're that even asking that question comes from like stems from a lack of understanding that like you can be profitable in poker, have edges in poker. All right. But at the same Mr. time, Karen. like if you if someone tells you they do something for a living, instead of asking if they make money at it, you should probably be like, "How is it possible to make money at it?" Like, I under so how does like, one go about that? So you see what I mean? Like, I'm not going to be empathetic when they say, "Do you make money at it?" Because I'm going to take it personally and yeah. like have them like, like, how stupid do you think I am? Do you think I like took a job where I make negative 15k a year? Like, it seems like a bad strategy. <laughs> you just described a lot of poker players, though. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of denial in the world. Those people wouldn't admit to it if asked the question, but it, you there gotta, are plenty of people making negative 15K a year right now in the poker world. You got to love how variance and volatility helps people justify so much and mm-hmm. disillusion themselves so much. My big year's coming. My big year's coming. I won't live to see it, but it's coming. Yeah, I'm due. Right. Due is my favorite word in poker. <laughs> like, those are the people that just... Decide their red black bets based on history. I think exactly. they have an edge. What, what, what's the wheel? Has the wheel been hot? Yeah. Is it all red? Favorite uh, poker destination? Melbourne. I, it's close between Melbourne God, and Barcelona. Every time somebody says Melbourne, I do that obnoxious Australian accent. Yeah, just I don't don't do that anymore. So can we move on? <laughs> I don't think I can. I, I can't help it. Yeah. Um. I only went once in two thousand eight, and made a deep run in the main event it was my favorite poker trip ever and yet i still haven't gone back which is pretty absurd i can just never get myself to pull the trigger to pay over two thousand dollars for a round trip flight that i really don't want to go on you hear that somebody put up put up mad in australia <laughs> you know it's like they he would all give you 80 percent of his winnings in no, exchange for a plane ticket maybe but <laughs> But they would also have to fly for me and get my body to show up in Australia oh. without taking a 15-hour flight. It's brutal. 
it it's really absurd. I don't even like flying back home to Miami. Like that's five hours, and I'm just like, ugh, I'm gonna take my shoes off. <laughs> oh yeah, I always take my shoes off. I'm always like stuck having to wait until everyone gets off the plane because I like after everyone else gets out of my way, I can finally like get my shoes back on, yeah, yeah. take my time. I just saunter off in. the plane last guy. Yeah, I'm chilling. You moved in. I'm laxed. Um, <laughs> Who's the best poker player we've never heard of? The collective we. Anybody? God, I want to say Gordon Veo, but people know who he is now. But a lot, but then there'll be the haters who are like, "Oh, he's the worst." He's like, <laughs> it's "Why like, is he the worst?" Well, because he lost a Queen Win heads up. So. Because he failed. No, I mean, because he failed to adjust a little bit during heads up play. His strategy. I, mean, he, I, I would say he over adjusted. Okay. Um, the plan was to play tight against Queen and pick him off, but then he forgot to pick him off yeah with the queen nine especially that's like the one hand that was the turning point i've already i've discussed all this with gordon too i waited a couple weeks oh, like sure tested the waters to, to see if i could it. talk to him about it yet was he kind of itching to talk about it i bet he kind of was because i bet everyone avoided him to talk about it. but i've been talking hands with him for several years mm-hmm. um but so but i still felt like there was still gonna be a period of time that yeah. he wasn't going to be ready to talk about it. And, like, I made a joke about, uh, you know, if that time is never, just never hit me back about it. But then, like, poked a little more and we started talking about the hands and stuff. But, I mean, he, he like, he takes it so well. He, like, he, he made that tweet after Hillary Clinton lost the election, uh, something along the lines of, I, I can't believe it only took a week for someone to choke harder than I did. Oh, man. Oh, that got infinite retweets and likes. And I talked to him about that, and he was like, yeah, I had turned all... I had, like, deactivated my Twitter and hadn't... Or hadn't logged in since uh, the final table just because I couldn't take it. But I logged in and reactivated just to make that tweet. And I still didn't look at anything. Yeah. Like, someone just showed me when it had gotten to, like, 500 likes and 150 retweets or something. (laughs) Um, So he's, like, he's self-deprecating, takes it well. He would have been the one that I would pick. Like, now I'm trying to think. Um, I would say that John Bornstein might be one of them. Okay. Yeah, John would be a good candidate for an under-the-radar type of guy. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I I think that there's always... There's always, like, this crew of East Coast grinders, like, working together, talking through hands, getting better and better. Asher was one of them. I would have picked Asher. uh, Asher and Gordon would have been two of the ones that I would have said as my answer to this before they had, like, their, their live breakout and got a little more notoriety. Um, but I will I will go with John Borenstein as my next pick to like snap something huge off. Like he final table Colossus, but he took like nine. That was like that is a count. He was John. so close. Like no one's gonna remember that. So. Eight spots short of John. <laughs> so I can still use John because he didn't like top three Colossus. Yeah, yeah. If he top three, maybe four or five, I wouldn't be able to use him. So I'm gonna go with J Bob. Okay. Uh, worst regular job before poker. Uh, Barney stock shops in. New Jersey or uh, in Bayonne, New Jersey. I was Barney's a like stock clothing clerk. store. No, 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 so much worse. Just like a like a old creepy pedophileish Jewish guy named Mel Stock. His father was Barney Stock, who had the like, Barney Stock. The Barney Stock. <laughs> 
who had made this like women's clothing store. It's mostly like bras and panties and stuff. Oh and, my like, gosh! Oh yeah, it's this awful. sounds like the creepiest place on earth. Wait, it's gonna get so much worse. He hired. Well, there there are the benefits and drawbacks. The benefit is he hires all the hottest girls from like the the Catholic high school and like oh my gosh. it's awful it's straight up awful um, i can see why young matt stout wanted to work there well it's one of the only places in bayonne that would hire people who were 13 and i had huge turnover because you were 13 13 14 oh my god yeah. so there was huge turnover because like everyone was hated this 15. guy uh, <laughs> like, and once the girls turned 17 they were too old for exactly. matt uh, and like he, uh, I don't know, like, he is just such a weird dude. And then it was just an awful job where I'm getting minimum wage, the job sucks. And then the real tipping point that made it far and far and above any other job in terms of terribleness. Um, we had the hometown fair every year, which was on Broadway and Bayonne and all kinds of carnival games, booths, blah, blah, blah. And it's on the street where the store is. So he has this big storefront display of bras and panties and stuff. And at one point during the hometown fair, while all of my friends are walking by, I have to go like fix up the bras and panties that have been rifled through. And like, and you're just like, and I'm just like, like, I'm just like standing out front of the store with women's (laughs) panties and bras in my hand while all my friends are making fun of me. It was epic. Just, it, it was a good motivator to show me how little I would like to have a job or a boss in my life. It was one of those Especially things where... Especially one like uh, Barney's son, Mel? Is that what you said his name was? Yeah, Mel, Mel Stock. Mel Stock. What a creepy old man he was, let me tell you. Ugh. He's dead now, right? I, I think he's still alive. I went in there a few years ago and I walked oh. past and like saw him in there. I was like, ugh. <laughs> you think At least I was safe. you a fan of uh, poker podcasts? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's going to get back to him. Yeah, I don't care. I, I think he knows that he's like a creepy, borderline pedophile-ish, scary human being. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> All right, moving on to music. Uh, you got your headphones on at the table, which I don't I don't know if you do that or not. I can't seem to remember if you're a headphone guy or not. I always have them, but like I've been listening to them less and less. Are I you like of... a one-ear or not, not kind of guy? Yeah, if I'm, if I have, if I'm, in, if I'm not in a bad mood... I'm only going to have them on one year. If I have them on, I need to hear player actions. I need to hear dealers saying things. Will you don't... ever have them on, but they're not li- they're not turned on? And like, oh, yeah. You're just that's listening? That's partly if I'm in a bad mood, too, and like I don't want people to talk to me. Like If I'm on tilt, like both headphones are on. Like Leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean like you're not playing music either. You're yeah, just... yeah, I do that, too. Yeah. Uh, sometimes where like, I you're just like have them on because I don't want people to talk to me, even though I'm not playing music. But then I'll reply to something, and it's blow my cover. <laughs> oh, he was too interesting. I couldn't resist. So okay, so you're listening to music. What do you What are you playing? Um, I'm gonna guess uh, Springsteen. Oh, of course. Being uh, from Good New read. Jersey. Good read. Isn't it a law? You have to. If you're from Jersey, you just have to listen to Springsteen at least like sixty percent of the time that you have your headphones on. That is actually the rule. Um, let's see. I would say mostly rap nowadays. Um, okay. but like most rap also sucks nowadays. So I'm kind of in a tough spot. Um, I You're listen not being to, fulfilled musically. Yeah. I, my needs aren't being met. I listen to a lot of old stuff. Like the, the current people that I can actually 
uh, that I really respect and like are Kendrick Lamar and Kid Cudi, I would say, are like the, the top two. Um, I listen to tons of Talib Kweli, Most Def, uh, then so obviously like the old school rap legends like Pac, Biggie, Nas, Jay-Z, okay. um, Mac Dre, Big L. Like there's, there's a lot of like the old school influence that. I, I like to go back to I like I would like much rather listen to most old school rap than listen to the current stuff like uh, Kevin Gates is like one of the current exa- the examples of like I like some of his songs and the lyrics but like he's not that musically gifted I don't think and he's just it's it's like the best I'm getting is like I don't get tired and like perfect imperfection nowadays out of like the new rappers for the most part so it's it's a little disappointing I also too I still many listen tools, to I think too many too many tools to fix noise or alter noise yeah. or, or music, I should For say. Sure. <laughs> uh, so that talent isn't really the the concern anymore. Yeah, I uh, think. Yeah, you, there's. And I don't know. I guess there's just not that much going on nowadays. Like the music, I I got so sick of music recently. I started listening to a lot of stand up. Like. I, ton of it like i'll just oh, put, i'll just put my favorite more i love i put my like my favorite stand-up artist in pandora just to start finding right, more. let's trade let's trade stand-ups until we until we get one we, that we both agree on there who's uh, your favorite matt bronger you like matt bronger he's so good okay i like my shovel fighter <laughs> when i was a shovel fighter in the ukraine <laughs> Uh, okay, if you like Matt Bronger, you might like, um, um, what's his name from uh, the Florida State alum? Burt Kreischer. Uh-oh, you should look up Burt Kreischer. I'm writing this down. How do I spell that? Well, I guess we can do that we'll after. We can do that later. <laughs> but for the listeners, B-E-R-T-K-R-E-I-S-C-H-E-R. Um, I also really like um, Hannibal Burris. Han- Hannibal, I almost said him first instead of saying Bronger, but a lot of Bronger you stuff to has go been obscure. stuck in my head. Yeah, I had to go more <laughs> obscure. I had to be like a little hipsterish about it, even okay. though he has a Netflix. He's pretty mainstream. Yeah. He's on Spotify. It's not hipsterish at all. Everyone should be on about. Spotify. Um, this podcast will be on Spotify pretty soon. What about uh, Steve Ranazzi? The, from does he do stand up from the league? Yeah, he does great stand up. He got in a lot of trouble over some uh, some nine eleven comments he made. That's so. not surprising at all. Yeah. Go listen to his bit about the pizza delivery guy. Okay, <laughs> I didn't know he did stand up. I have to. Check he does out. really good stand up. It's on Spotify. Perfect. He has like two albums on Spotify, and both of them are really really funny. I also like uh, Pete Holmes, Kumail Nanjiani. Yeah, Kumail, my brother just got me into. Who was uh, the other one? Pete Holmes. Pete Holmes, yeah. He's good. Um, anyway, that's Comedy Hour with Colin, Julio and Matt. Colin Quinn has a new special. He does some stand-up. Very New York-based, too. It's all, like, making fun of New York. He can't be any other way, though. Yeah, he's just... <laughs> he's so good. Um, pretty damn hysterical. I also still listen to, like, a lot of... Like, the stuff I grew up on was more, like, rock and stuff. I listened to a lot of, like, Kid Rock, Incubus, System of a Down, Tool. That's the stuff I grew up on and still, like, Puddle really of love. Mud. Eh, stained. Okay, stained's pretty good. Okay. Um, that was more my my my. I see uh, you mocking me. My high school college days as well. Yeah. Are uh, you ready for the fun one? The random question generator. Oh Jesus! So we just look. You have an app for this? I, no, There's it's, an app it's for the that? website. This this is the standard question it starts with, and I'm gonna press the button so you can witness it. Uh, I'm gonna press the button. 
This is great podcast, Julio. When is this the last question? Work. Yeah, this is the last right, one. Good. I don't have any service. I got to leave in 10 minutes anyway. I was, okay. I was felt like this is dragging on a bit, and I'm sure the listeners agree. Well, that's your fault for talking. <laughs> How dare I talk when you interview me? You want me to give one-word answers next time? Yeah, probably. All right. That's not All right, funny. here we go. If Damn it. Okay, I'm going to change this question. If you were given a one wish, what would you wish for? More wishes? Come on. That's... You got to give me a better question okay, than that question... because people that understand game theory know how to work oh, that God, question. This one's offensive. <laughs> no. It says, would you rather be blind or deaf? That's not that offensive. They then both said something pretty offensive. Oh, oh God, that was awful. No, edited that Can out. We edit that one out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I didn't mean that at all either. Like... <laughs> this one might get political. How, how do you think the world will end? Oh, the world will end with... Donald Trump tweeting something, of course. Oh my God, you just lost 50% of your fans. I don't care. I mean, I think even the people who voted for Trump and are Trump supporters understand okay. that there's a decent chance that one of his tweets is going to end the world in the next four years. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give you one, one real question. Do you keep a journal? No. Or have you I ever have kept a, a journal? journal. I, kept, I used to keep a journal, but then I realized how screwed up my brain was. And I decided... <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to reread it. Yeah, you are. It's like a letter you never send to yourself. Really? Is that how it's supposed it's to work? Ju- it's more the process of writing it down is therapeutic. If you go back and read it, oh, that's a nightmare. Maybe own- turn them into your therapist. <laughs> My only... I forgot where I was going with that. My brain just totally spaced. Good thing you can edit. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Oh, Matt, thank you so much. For letting me into your house. I still can't believe I let you into my house. I know. And it was so much fun. Should have made me at Starbucks. It was so much fun watching Avatar, your favorite movie, on your 600-inch TV. It's funny that you're making fun of me and saying that, even though I don't even own Avatar. But that is one of the movies that I think of when I'm like, why should I have a 150-inch projector? It's the only way to justify it. No, NHL. (laughs) I watch tons and tons of hockey. Oh, yeah. When When the... Screen's 150 inches. The puck is, you know, six inches wide. We can actually see the puck. I liked it in the old days when they highlighted the puck behind the boards. I bet you hated that. Hated it. Yeah, you're a purist. You're, yeah, you're trying to turn NHL into a All right, well, let's go outside. The little comet was so much worse. (laughs) Like, the blue blip was one thing. But when they put a little comet tail, when the puck was going over 80 miles an Mm. hour... That was out of control. Visible Stupid. puck jet stream going on behind. <laughs> I respect that they tried to overcome one of the NHL's barrier to gaining new fans and everything. But but no, no, don't put a goddamn comet on our puck. <laughs> I couldn't even watch it. It was painful. On that note, we're out. NHL purists hated it. And I have the my only tattoo is the Ranger Shield on my right arm. So if that tells you anything about how I feel about hockey, all right, I'll shut up. Can we close this out? We're yeah. done. Bye, everyone. <laughs> That's our show this week. Thanks again to Matt Stout for the chat. He's on Twitter with the handle at Matt Stout Poker, and you should take a moment to check out the charity series of poker to see if you can make it out to the next event and support a great cause. I also want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. Make sure you visit cardplayer.com for more poker stories soon.